Hello and welcome to another episode of Tonal Whiplash, the interview show where we ask guests serious questions and silly questions back and forth in a way that clashes and shouldn't work, but apparently it's a thing we do. I'm your host, Laura, and I have another special guest with us again this episode. Who are you, other person on the Skype call? Hey, my name's Adam Conover. Nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you too. Um, so for anyone who knows nothing about you, who are you? What are the things that you do that people might know you for? Well, I do a TV show here in the U.S. called uh, Adam Ruins Everything. It's on a channel called True TV. There's also clips on YouTube. Um, a lot of people mostly know me from YouTube and they think I'm a YouTuber, but I am, fa- I am in fact on basic cable television, which is one just barely a media rung above YouTube as far as, <laughs> yeah. as, far as professionalism goes. But... Uh, uh, and it's an informative comedy show. It's sort of a mix of sketch comedy and, and educational TV. We reveal mind-blowing information and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm also a stand-up comic. Indeed. Uh, we will get to the stand-up comedy bit in a, in a little bit. I definitely have some stuff to ask you about that. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned, like, a lot of people think of you as a YouTuber. And I think that a lot of that is because the, the Adam Ruins Everything character and archetype started on YouTube, obviously, with, with College Humor. Um... What what was it like trying to t- like taking the steps from being a YouTube series into into making that a TV thing that that stood up on its own? Well, the steps that actually took place to you know go from one to the other was uh, at the time that I made that first Adam ruins everything video. Uh, true. Uh, sorry, College Humor was trying to get in the business of making TV shows, and so mm-hmm. the folks I work with said, "Hey, this could make a good TV show." And so we made a couple more sketches uh, for YouTube, and then uh, you know worked up a pitch uh, mm-hmm. where we were like, "Here's the TV show version would look like," and we went around and pitched different TV networks. And True TV was the only one with a with a devil may care attitude to take <laughs> a risk on a bizarre show. Uh, which did not star an established, <laughs> you know, famous person. Uh, this bizarre hybrid of sketch comedy and, and stand-up and, and info comedy that we do. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, the transition to actually working on the show was a very complex one because I went from being a sketch comedy writer at a, you know, YouTube channel who just wrote two sketches a week to, you know, running my own show where I was running a room of multiple writers. And our first year we put out 12 half-hour episodes on a very short timeline. It was, uh, it was pretty wild. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. Uh, did, did you have any sense of what that, that jump would be like before you took it? Or were you just completely caught off guard by, oh no, this is what I do now? Well, no, I mean, I, I knew that that was what it... I, I sort of had a general outline of what the work would be because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I work in comedy and I sort of know yeah, how TV yeah. shows are made. Um, and uh, so I, I had that sort of general knowledge. But, uh, you know, it was a specific process where I had to reconceive of myself as being someone who could run a television show. Prior to that, I had said, well, I'm a stand-up comic and I like comedy writing and, you know, I hope to do both, Right. Um, but I was, you know, the jobs I was aspiring to before we happened to sell this show were, you know, I was applying for writing positions on late night shows. I hoped that I could write for some other comedian and then also do my own standup. Um, and so it was a sudden jump. And I remember the moment at which I was on a jog in the park and I was thinking like, well, this is what I'm going to do. 
And I remember reconceiving of myself and saying, no, I think I really could be the person who's, you know, the eye of the hurricane, the sort of, or a better uh, uh, metaphor is like the sun in a solar system. You know, really everything revolves around you when you're uh, starring in and creating and, and running one of these shows. And I, and I had to sort of think of myself, am I that type of person? Could I, could I grow to fit that role was the question. Because um, I had never thought I would have had to before. Uh, and I sort of decided, yeah, I think, I think I can, I think I can reconceive of myself in that way. Um, so it was sort of, it was a deliberate shift that I had to undergo. Wonderful. Uh, complete change of topic. We're going to throw a silly question in now. Uh, this one is from the boy who cried Nya on Twitter. What would your fasona be? <laughs> um, uh, very, you know, I've been asked that question more than once. <laughs> I have. It's, it's it's a good it's a good question to get an insight into a person. I think. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, once so sometimes to that question, I have answered uh, otter, some kind of otter, because you know, very cute, very personable, smart creatures, very charismatic. You know what I mean? And they just yeah. kind of look like they kind of look half human already. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of. Uh, person there's a lot of personhood you can read into to how they act and look. yeah they yeah. stand on they stand on their hind legs a lot you know it just sort of fits it makes a lot of sense um but then once uh i was asked this i think by an artist who wanted to draw me and i said slime mold because i thought that was a <laughs> i thought that was a really interesting answer because first of all slime molds i believe are animals um not actually i want to look it up actually um uh but they uh uh Oh yeah, they're eukaryotic organisms. Um, oh, they're that just form- about counts as an animal, I think. <laughs> yeah, they're formerly classed as fungi, but no longer. Um, so anyway, they're a very interesting. They're like a very interesting type of creature, right? Because they live in these massive colonies and things like that. Um, I thought that would be pretty cool. And then whoever it was drew a drew a picture of me as a slime mold uh, persona, where I was sort of goopy and green, um, <laughs> and it was very fun to look at, and I I really enjoyed it. So. Uh, but yeah, those are, it's sort of amusing to me. I mean, I guess, I guess the, you know, I don't feel a super close kinship with any type of animal and think, oh, I am that animal. And I guess that's why I'm not actually a furry, you know? I I feel like if you had like, this is the definitive answer, I think you're you're 90% of the way to being a furry at that point already. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. It's it's always a fun exercise to think about. Um, so going back to your work a little bit, um, the character version of, of, of Adam that exists in Adam Ruins Everything, you've talked about previously being sort of a exaggerated uh, form of certain aspects of yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember when that character started to be a character that you, you thought of as something you could perform? Uh, that is a very good question and not one that I've uh, been asked before. You know, the it was, it was a process of slow accretion. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the original genesis of the character was, you know, I was doing material like Adam Ruins Everything style. In my stand-up act, I wanted to do some for college humor. And so I wrote a sketch or two like that over the few years before doing Adam Ruins Everything, mm. where I was, like, talking direct to camera and explaining something with jokes. But the feedback I always got was, hey, this is too didactic, you know, at, oh my god, you're going on about this, like, it's very ranty, you know, mm. it's not that much fun. Um, and I would get that from the other writers, right? Um, and I had always gotten this reaction when I would tell people about this stuff in real life. They'd be like, ah, Adam, come on, you're ruining our fun. Come on, what's going on? Shut up. Get out of here, you know, throughout my whole life. 
And so uh, when I wrote the original Adam Ruins Everything sketch, which was the Diamond Engagement Ring sketch, um, I wrote the other writers into the script making mm. fun of me as sort of a self-defense mechanism so that they couldn't make fun of me uh, in, uh, you know, in the room, right? Because I had already written them in making fun of me. That ended up being the comedy engine of the entire series, I, I didn't realize at the time. Um, but from then on... It just became, well, let's make a joke at my expense every so often. You know, let's reveal a little detail about me. Let's reveal it, you know, let's let's uh, have people poke fun at me. You know, let's uh, obviously let's depict me as a nerd. And the more we did that, the more details we added, the more heightened the character got. So if you watch the, the show in the first couple episodes... I'm not playing it that big. I'm playing it pretty, uh, uh, pretty normal. Um, and the more I go, the more sort of you know in the in the recent season, which uh, premieres in just a couple of weeks, August thirteenth. Um, you know, I'm I, it's almost like a Pee Wee Herman level of up. You know, and uh, uh, sort of exaggerated nerdiness. Yeah. And so I found all of those moments, all of those ways of playing the character as I went. The sort of little re- takes and reactions he'll do. Um, so it was really, really piece by piece. It, it, it didn't even, I didn't even start conceiving it as a character until sort of midway through the first season. In those early episodes, as you say, it was definitely more other people playing the straight person that, that made that character by contrast, but it def, it definitely did shift over time. And that's really interesting. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask you something else on that topic. Um, when you're sort of known for playing an exaggerated version of yourself, as as you are at this point, I, I think it's fair to say, do, do you find that, like, when people meet you who, you know, know you from, from that character first, that they expect some level of that same persona when they meet you? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. You know, like, we have a running joke on the show that I, that I, I have turtles, that I have pet turtles, and that I like turtles. And... <laughs> Uh, that was invented by the writers. Uh, I don't particularly like turtles. I, I have a dog. I like animals. I mean, I don't dislike turtles, right? <laughs> but yeah. um, in my real life, I don't have a particular attachment to turtles. And sometimes, like, kids will come up to me and they'll say, uh, you know, do you do you really like turtles? And I'll say, uh, not really. And they go, oh. <laughs> you know? So now I now I sort of answer a little evasively, you know. Oh yeah, I like them. They're like, okay, good. I like turtles too, um, you know. So people do uh, they have a little bit of that expectation. But you know, when I perform live, uh, uh, doing stand up or things like that, I perform as myself, and mm. the audience is there for that version of me as well. When I stream online, too, when I stream on Twitch, when I do my podcast. People, people are there for the real version of me, and and I think they can tell the difference uh, for the most part. Yeah. Was it hard to? Was it difficult to establish that boundary when you started doing more of the uh, stand up and streaming and those things where you weren't in character? No, not particularly, because that's what I had been doing before, right? Like mm. I, I've always continually done stand up as myself. Yeah. Um. So the distance sort of between those things grew the more I did it. Um, and now I conceive of them as being sort of different gears uh, to a larger extent than I used to. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it wasn't that hard to to continue doing it. Now I'm trying to find ways of being on television that are a little bit less in character, you know, and are a little yeah. bit closer to myself. Um, uh, that's just sort of me sort of growing as an artist in that that's, way. I think that's totally understandable. Um, so time for another silly question. Please. You are sat in front of the Council of Millennials. They have agreed to kill off one industry for you. What industry would you like killed off? 
in their millennial wisdom. Oh boy! Wait, so it be does it have to be a, a an industry that millennials like? No, nope, any industry whatsoever. The millennials have granted you this one gift. What what industry <laughs> are you getting rid of? Um. Uh, you know, the first one that comes to mind is the healthcare insurance industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, I mean, you're, well, you're speaking to me from the UK, correct? Yes, I am. So, so you don't have a healthcare insurance, in- or you have just that, that little one that, that people who have an extremely large amount of money can use. Is that correct? C- c- uh, currently, you don't have to have insurance to get healthcare. That's the yeah. case for now. We'll see if that continues after Brexit. Right. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, you know, the, in the, in the U S obviously everything is done through the healthcare insurance industry. Mm. And, um, I think we, uh, it's very apparent now that that system of paying for healthcare is not a good one, uh, that insurance does that the fundamental model of insurance doesn't match the problem of providing healthcare, right? Because mm. insurance is really great for things that happen randomly and, uh, might not happen such as earthquakes and car accidents and things like that, right? Mm. Insurance isn't a great way to pay for something that everybody is going to need over the course of yeah. their lives. Uh, and it, it, you know, that that is a, there's fundamental problems with mm. the way health problems arise that result in the health insurance industry, uh, you know, the, the costs being so high, the coverage levels being so low, and all the other problems that we've seen. So yeah. now there's certainly an argument to be made that in a country like the U.S. that any health insurance, sorry, that any healthcare system that we develop needs to be built on the back of the one that we already have and that we need to, you know, look for the next stepping stone to where we want to get to. Um, and so I don't take a stance on whether as a matter of public policy, we should uh, eliminate the healthcare, uh, the, the health insurance industry. Um, but I do think if you're, if I'm in a three wishes scenario, uh, that, and if I'm looking across the entire economy and looking at which segment, which industry is giving us the least benefit for what it's doing, which one is is the one that we should, in most in need of fundamental reform, I would certainly say the healthcare industry. I, I, I think that that, that, that is a very good answer. I'm health cons- insurance industry. I want to say again, sorry, I kept saying healthcare by mistake. That's fair. I, I yeah, no worries. I I am constantly terrified by the American healthcare system. the The thing that shocked me was when an American friend of mine told me that if a police officer shoots you, and you have to get healthcare, and you have no insurance, there's no guarantee that the police will cover that. You might just have to pay the bill. Oh yeah, like that, absolutely. That was a terrifying thing to learn. Well, yeah, because a U.S. court will always determine that it was your fault that you were shot by the police officer. Uh, so, you know, so why would the police department pay if the court is saying that, you know, you you shouldn't have been being so scary, right? Yeah, that's, it is a terrifying system. I, I, I'm terrified by it. <laughs> um, so I, I had a question about being a creative person we're living with another creative person because obviously your partner uh, Lisa Hannawalt also yes. works in comedy but a very different kind uh yes. working working on the devastatingly cancelled uh Tuka and Bertie <laughs> fantastic show everyone should have should watch it and complain that it needs to come back it's very um, wonderful it's got a wonderful 10 episodes that you can go watch and enjoy uh no matter what happens to it in the future it's it, a it's a beautiful piece of it art it has a very watch. satisfying narrative arc to it but yes. my question was like 
do you, how how do you get that balance of working on cr- on wildly different creative schedules and still existing together as people? Is that a <laughs> difficult thing to do? Uh, yes, it is. You know, we so we started dating in our twenties uh, when we neither of us had creative jobs per se. We were creative freelancers. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa was doing illustration and occasionally a book, and I was. Uh, you know, doing stand-up for free uh, every night and doing video editing and web design and stuff like mm. that to pay the bills. And so we moved in together pretty quickly and it worked out very well because we we had similar priorities, right? That mm. um, we every we spent every day... I, we, we seriously had a couple of years where we would work at home from, you know, like 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. every day. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. and just, we were in our, te- we were in our twenties, so we were, we were very happy staying up that late. I no longer am, but, um, uh, you know, and so when I was like, oh, I'm going to go do open mics tonight, she was never like, oh, you should be spending time with me. She was like, no, great. Do a book. You know, I'm going to go w- do a drawing. Right. Um, so now, you know, we were, we, so we were very, you know, work comes first, work comes first all the time. Not that we never spent time with each other. We spent a lot of time mm. with each other, but that was our sort of priority. So it was, it's good to have matching priorities in that way. Now the problem is that it's become our jobs to work on these things and, and the pressure is not just internal, it's external as well. It, it is difficult to find uh, those spaces that we can spend time with each other and not uh, be consumed with work. Uh, mm. That is a challenge that we have and that's sort of the story of being in your 30s for a lot of people. Your 30s are when you really you know, uh, put all the work in and uh, to perhaps the detriment of the rest of your life. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a struggle and an effort to, uh, make sure that doesn't happen to us, but it's something that we, we are mindful of and, and avoid as best we can. Yeah. Uh, time for another, just completely off topic, uh, silly question. What's your favorite, just really bad, cheesy pun or joke? Uh, my favorite? Yeah. Um, oh, uh, Okay, hold on a second. I, I need to I need to remember this. Oh, jeez. Uh, oh no 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 hold on a second. You're gonna have to help me out. Um, uh, what's the name of the of the actress who just she just stabbed herself? It was just in the news. She just stabbed herself. Reese. Uh, Reese. What's her name? Reese. Uh, Re- uh, Reese. Goodness. Uh, uh. Reese. Um, starts with a W. Reese. Uh, Reese Witherspoon. No, with her knife. She stabbed herself with her knife. Ah. Uh. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my favorite my favorite bad uh. joke. Uh, that's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part is that you have to spend half the joke getting the other person to say Witherspoon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where I learned it. I'm very proud of it, though. No, that, that's, 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 that's wonderful. It's terrible and I love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, you've just come off of doing a, uh, a, a stand-up tour. Yes. Uh, what is, what is the most difficult stand-up gig you ever remember having? Oh, uh, uh, there's so many. I mean, I was once on, I did stand up on a, this is one of the first times I was ever paid to do stand up. Someone was, this woman was running like Valentine's Day boat rides in like cruises in the New York City harbor, like in the river. And uh, a friend was like, oh yeah, she'll have you do stand up on the boat. Um, But it was really just kind of like a small ferry. You know, it wasn't like a cruise boat or anything. It was just like, you know, it was like a ferry boat. Um, and, uh, uh, all they did for comedy was just sort of set up a microphone and, um, you know, point us at the audience. 
uh, and, who were not in the mood to laugh because they were on this strange boat on Valentine's Day. <laughs> uh, so it was like this sort of situation where the person had, oh, also we could barely be heard over the sound of the engine. You know, it was like there were seagulls flapping around. Everyone just wanted to eat. Everyone was seasick. Uh, it, it was one of those situations where the people who organized it just should not have had stand-up comedy on this trip. Uh, it was just a mistake to ha- have there be stand-up on it, but that's what they wanted. So that's what I did. Uh, wonderful. Um, so, another off-topic question. I was paid, so it wasn't the worst ever, it, because I was paid. But... It could have gone worse. Yeah. Um, okay, this, this is a question I always enjoy asking people. Do you have any unusual things that your body can do? Oh, um, like, this is like a little kid thing, like, like rolling your tongue or, or stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, like, like, you know, licking your elbow. Is there anything that you, that you can do that just is a bit odd? Um, physically, uh, I am, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure that I can. I I actually can't. Uh, I can't think of anything. I can think of things that I can't do, like my uh, my. I'm close to legally blind in my left eye. Just I just I'm extremely extremely nearsighted. Like if I was that blind in both eyes, I wouldn't be allowed to drive. Not that I do drive much now, but um, and uh, so as a result, like I have no depth perception, so I have very hard time catching things. <laughs> I've never yeah, caught anything in my life, so. That's- as as someone with coordination issues, I would offer you a high five, but I fear it's very <laughs> um, Yeah, but there's also you know there's also things that like my body can do that I don't think is exceptional, but you know like I ran like I I like I like running and uh, close to ten years ago now I ran the New York City Marathon and I did it very slowly. I'm I'm not a good runner, right? Uh, I, I'm slow. I take a lot of walk breaks. I was literally, and this was close to 10 years ago. So I was in my twenties. I was literally beaten by multiple 80 year olds. Like I was in the top, (laughs) I was in like the bottom 10% of all runners, regardless of age group. It took me over six hours, but I did it. You know, my body did it despite the fact that it wasn't a talent that I had. Right. Mm. Um, and so that's something that I always took away that like, even, you know, I think we have too much focus on talents and not enough on, like, capability in terms of, like, what your body can actually do. Endurance running is great for that because you start to realize, hmm. oh, yeah, I have, like, hidden reserves of energy that I didn't know were there. I would have never thought I could do it, but in fact, in fact, I could, right? Um, yeah. And, uh, like, uh, you know, to your listeners, I'm sure that many more of you, for instance, if you, not that you should, not that you should, and if you don't want to, but you could run a marathon, more of you more of you could than think you can is my point um uh and so and i'm sure some of you can't as well but those of you though can probably do other things that you Mm. don't think are possible you know what i mean like our like our bodies do have abilities that we don't understand i think that's an interesting thing to an interesting thing to explore and play with as i grow older is like what other sorts of things can my body do that i that i wasn't aware of that's that's a really interesting answer to that. Um, <laughs> but before we wrap up, I wanted to ask, as as someone that's been trying to do, uh, that's been doing comedy for as long as you have, um, have there been any creative projects that you really wish had worked out that you just couldn't make happen, or that you, you know, hope that maybe you can make happen, but just didn't work when you tried? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that happens. That happens all the time. Um, I will say that the ones that, in my experience, the ones that don't work, 
are uh, the ones that shouldn't have worked, right? Like, I've had shows shows that I pitched before Adam Ruins Everything that didn't go. And then in retrospect, I'm like, oh, yeah, because it wasn't a very good idea, you know? <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I didn't realize that yet. Um, or... Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. About a year and a half ago, uh, True TV asked me to do a pilot for a studio talk show uh, version of Adam Ruins Everything. Like, basically what I do, but, you know, in a studio, like you've seen, you know, any, you know, Sam B. Yeah. or John Oliver, any of those people. Um, and so we did one. We did it way too quickly. Um, we didn't, they didn't give us enough time to work on it. Um, it was very rushed. Uh, and when we finished it, they were like, oh, we don't want this at all. No, actually, we thought we wanted this, but no, we don't. Uh, we've changed our minds, and we want you to do more Adam Ruins Everything instead. And at the time, I, I was, you know, let down by that. I thought, well, th- this was going to be the next stage of my career, you know? It was going to be a new mm. a new step forward for me, and I'm disappointed to not have it go. And I've been working on it for a couple months now, and I really wanted to see it happen, right? But in retrospect, it's like, well, you know, the pilot that we did was fine, but, like, it was good that it didn't go. It wasn't the right project. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. it, it, it wasn't as, frankly, different or interesting as Adam Ruins Everything was. And also, it was at a time when uh, all of these, you know, late night talk shows, there's beginning to be too many of them. And, uh, you know, there's the, the, the market is too saturated and people can't pay attention to them anymore. And so uh, it wouldn't have been the right step at the time. Uh, I was wrong about that. So uh, most of the time when I look back at those sorts of things, I'm like, well, it just wasn't that – either that wasn't the right project after all or it wasn't that project's time, you know. Um, and uh, that's why it's so important to just, you know, iterate and try another thing down the road um, because it's not like you – like I didn't get anything from either of those experiences. Uh, it certainly helped me quite a lot uh, to, to go through them. So uh, that's why I'd – you know, encourage folks to uh, just try, try, try again, you know? Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, for no anyone problem. who is new to finding out about you from this podcast, what are, you, what are your projects at the moment? Do all the plugging. Where can people find you? Oh, well, people can, you know, just search YouTube for Adam Ruins Everything. You can watch clips to your heart content. You can follow me on Twitch at Adam, at Adam Conover and on Twitter at Adam Conover. Wonderful. Thank you very much. We will have another episode again soon. Bye. Thank you so much for having me.